Hello and welcome to another edition of the End Zone Podcast. My name is Eric Jensen and I'm joined today by Brian Brown. Back for another edition of a blogger in the bear as I like to call it. Always a fun time. Uh, a few general housekeeping notes before we get into what could be a marathon episode that needs to be cut into two. Uh, but we, we'll, we'll, we'll just see. We'll see how it goes. This is not the only Endzone podcast you'll be getting this week. I do have some of the Endzone podcast crew set up to come tomorrow. YB likely, Brock likely, Mason likely. Don't know about Brad, uh, a mystery figure in the wind per usual. Brad um, may not be invited, but we are. Yes, we are. We are dive. We will dive deep into the AFC and NFC championship games as i belch into the laptop mic always attractive uh and uh and yeah we'll we'll dive into those games and talk more about their outcomes we will touch on that a little bit here today but what this is is uh more a what what i like to think of as an evergreen episode where we will touch on a lot of things, uh, much pertaining to college football, much pertaining to pro football, and a bit of an off-season preview. Because as if if you've been listening to this podcast for a while now, you know, uh, once the Super Bowl ends, it, it is kind of a mad sprint. I don't know if I'll be able to get three shows out Super Bowl week, but I, I am promising at least two, a preview and a recap, uh, hopefully the recap either the Monday after or directly after the game. But as you know, after that recap, I like to tend to take a little bit of time for myself, go dark and uh, come back strong at the end of February once the combine's over and do draft stuff with Ryan Kearney and uh, talk about free agency and things like that. And then we, we kind of go all the way up to the draft and then there's another longer break between that and July when we start up with division previews again. This year might be a little bit different. It is hard to find people to do the podcast with who are available consistently. That is, it, it is a difficulty. And so I've decided, yes. And, and so I've decided not to kill myself over it this off season. So you, we will, we will get some, some, Shows few and far between during the offseason. I'm hoping to have a free agency preview, a little free agency recap as well. We'll do some draft previews for the most important positions to me in this class. It seems like Daniel Jeremiah just dropped his top 50 draft prospects today, Brian. I don't know if you saw that or not, but it seems like this is a very quarterback heavy draft, very wide receiver heavy draft, very, very heavy offensive weapons draft with a few elite cornerbacks sprinkled in and a bunch of offensive tackles, a bunch of offensive tackles that are very, that seem to be very highly touted. So we'll probably do a quarterbacks, a, a wide receiver tight end. And if Brian will be so kind, an offensive tackle kind of look over and then we'll do our draft recaps and, and we'll go dark again for the summer and maybe we'll have you know josh newman week i'd like to have that he's now reporting on texas so that that should be fun to listen and to to talk with him about but yeah that's all the housekeeping 
out of the way. Brian, welcome back to the show. Yes. What's your version of a dark room retreat? A dark room retreat. Hmm. What is my version of a dark room retreat? I would say a room with nothing but chicken wings in it. mm, No, I would say my version of a dark room retreat is. Oh, I recently got this changed my life. I recently got a facial. A friend of mine got me a facial for Christmas and God, I don't know. It changed my entire life. It's something I want to do every four months. They're very incredibly got you a facial, not gave you a facial, right? Yes, 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 yes. And holy cow, ah, jokes aside, let's not even joke about it, bro. They they look exfoliated. They are sick. A person puts warm oil on your face and massages it in gently, and they massage your arms and your and your shoulders, and you, you come out of there feeling like, God damn, I'm a new person. And like I, so I won't take any of this bullshit. No, facials are elite. Everyone should go get a facial. They are beautiful things. Everyone should go do that at least you know one two times a year. You know, I I, I won't I won't take any facial slander. I just won't. I just won't. I just won't have it. And you know, I I I really I I enjoyed them. Have you ever had a hot towel shave? Mm, yes, I have. Well, I I have no facial hair. But it's it's the same same type of the same type of dealio. Yeah, yeah. I have a gross mustache, but pencil that's thin. Just, pencil thin. It's that it's, that's just that's just part of mainly laziness. I don't I don't want to shave it every day. And yeah, I mean I have and I but hot towel is also part of the facial. So like you know, it's the same it's the same type of experience brian so maybe that's involved also similar. I, I think the key element in whether you go facial or hot towel shave is that that loosening of your pores through the heat and then the releasing of everything that's been locked in your skin for whatever reason so interesting that your dark room retreat would just be like a week-long session of of facials Maybe not, but would be kind of a different ah. kind of dark room. Listen, I am not a huge party guy. That's not really you know my vibe. You set but, a goal for us in twenty twenty four though. But I do, I do like vacations, mm. and vacations I tend vacations I tend to really let loose, and vacations turn more into benders. And several of my friends are moving to Manhattan, New York, so there there is a summertime. Manhattan trip where I just feel like I am going to drink 10 to 12 beers and do various substances and and just and just have have a really great time and it'll be in the middle of June, early July, there won't be much NFL to talk about and I'll come out of it and I'll be ready to ready to go for the new year as as well. In fact, today I bought I I have to tell you something, Brian. This is the year of beer. This is a year of beer. This is the year. As you know, I am a somewhat accomplished bartender. I can make many cocktail. I feel very confident in myself at this point that if you gave me a recipe, I could make literally anything. So I've decided to make this year the year of beer. So for 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 this episode, I've bought a beer. I've bought the Wasatch Brewery Ghost Rider IPA and 
I'm 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 trying all beers. I know some people hate IPAs. I think I hate IPAs, but I've I've come to a shocking realization, Brian, which is if you just accept beforehand with an IPA that you're gonna hate yourself a little bit for drinking it, then it's actually okay. But first you have to kind of realize that you have to hate yourself a little bit to drink it. And like I can hate myself enough to drink an IPA. And so I'm going to try this here live, live on my podcast. Let me try not to spill it on the... Did that crack come through? Okay. Very nice. nice Very nice. Yeah. God, that is fucking terrible. But, you know... (laughs) Is this... Can I I interject here? Because you are correct. A cocktail aficionado, specialist, all that kind of thing. Have you had a Deschutes fresh squeezed IPA yet? No. But on second, call that a gateway IPA because it is delicious, fantastic beer. If I still was a heavy beer drinker, that would be where I would tell that that would be my number one. My fridge would be top to bottom full of fresh squeeze IPA. Also, just to piggyback off of your New York excursion, I think you and I need to go to the mud baths of Calistoga and have a retreat weekend. Okay, I don't know where that IPAs or wine or whatever it takes. I think that sounds nice as well. <laughs> on second sip, I don't hate this IPA. Hold on. IPAs are highly, highly hated. I think IPAs are kind of like the Dallas Cowboys. Nobody really once you wants get past to like them. The, once you get past the first kind of noxiousness of the hops, the hops. This is this is pretty damn good. I I, I do like this. Yeah, no, I, I IPAs are a very, especially if you've been in the beer drinking game for a while. And you're looking for a little more flavor, a little more density. Go for an IPA. This is, is solid. there an IPA? I, I think the IPA of NFL teams is Dallas, Dallas Cowboys. Am I wrong? Well, that that would insinuate that at some point it gets good, and and like follows through. So either that or you just get used to it being what it is, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I disagree. I disagree. Shout out to our, our our new listeners, by the way. I did have a friend introduce this show to their friends, and apparently, for this episode and many other episodes, we may be getting ten new listeners, which would be huge. That's like that's like a tenth of our audience that that we just get a little new. So, to the new listeners, thank you for uh, thank you for listening to this to this podcast. Brian, shall we get to the football? The floor is yours, my friend. We shall get to the football. Let's begin with college football. Very good place to start. So I need you to explain something to me. You've been long been a proponent of this idea of silly season. I need you to explain to me what that is and when that is, because in my head, using context clues, I assume silly season's kind of right now. But please explain. Yeah. So in in previous calendars, it would be the silly season right now where you're getting into the heart of recruiting and everything like that. With the new condensed calendar, silly season actually happens right at the end of the season. And, And a lot of it is the coaching carousel. For those listening at home who aren't watching, I'm riding the carousel right now in in my in my in my chair. Shout out to Dan Levitarcho for the bit coaching carousel and then the silly season is is transfer portal season it used to be that recruiting 
from January to February was just this mad dash sprint of everyone trying to flip everyone's commitments and wild, crazy things happening and coaches getting fired the week after or the day after signing day. And that's all happened already. So now we're kind of in this weird season of like, okay, like a whole plugging season and, and, and trying to figure out what we're, what we've lost. So I was talking to a coach who said initially their plan was to get nine high school recruits. They lost between that, between the end of the season and a few weeks ago, they lost half their staff and they now have to get 16 high school recruits to replace players that have gone with them. So it's almost like silly season wasn't good enough. And so we've turned the entire calendar and and scope of college football into just absolute silliness. And this is a sport that the sport is always in chaos, but it's in a, it's, it's in a weird place right now where it's in danger of losing itself. Right. So if you look back at the history of college football, I mean, this is a sport that started because Harvard and Yale couldn't agree on what eligibility was. And so they had to start their own conference because they were constantly fighting over that. And, and realistically, at one point in time, you know, you look at the scope of college football throughout its history, it has always been out of control and trying to recover from whatever craziness or, or wildness. I mean, Harvard created a mascot called Football Fightem to celebrate or to, uh, what's the word, uh, memorialize the death of their interclass scrimmage that the administration canceled because too many people were getting hurt in the freshman sophomore game right so like this sport is absurd you know like northwestern used to have a live bear cub that they would take to games and have people shake the bear cubs hands pre-game but they lost too many games so they got rid of the mascot they blamed the bear cub for paw for being the problems the reason that they lost so many games so like Silliness and, and wildness and, and, and kind of weird, bizarre, fun stuff is at the heart of the sport. And right now it's at the danger, at, it's in danger of losing that. And I think that to me is what's happened in terms of the realignment and everything like that. And I don't think there's a better example other than the schedule released today for the Big 12. For one, why are you releasing your schedule on January 30th? Number two, why in the world is Utah finishing on the road in Orlando playing UCF? Oh, you didn't hear, dude? Ever? That's our new arch rival. Yeah. UCF. All my, all my homies hate UCF. I do not fuck with that, that program sounds... anymore. It's rivalry Mark. week, dude. We're, we're just going to get... Uh, come out with me right now. Switching to satellite because I don't want anything to do with cable. The dude, this... stadium that UCF used to play in was... Uh... Cable, a cable company was named after it. In fact, this is my favorite little fun factoid. And another another piece of just why college football is insane. People used to return their cable boxes to the stadium because that's where they thought the cable company was located. Now, part of that is just Florida being Florida, right? But but like the fact that they you named your stadium after a cable company and people just kept returning cable boxes over and over again. There's more parts of these absurdity. But yeah, who doesn't want a rival like that? Yeah, dude, come right now. You and me, we're trashing UCF. Like, like as long as we're talking on here, like I, I don't care. Like BYU, hope you do well, man. But I don't even view you as a rival anymore. Like, it's UCF time. 
Like I hate UCF. Blake Bortles, get give that shit out of here, man. Like is I, he the most famous UCF alum? This is see, this is what we have to spend our offseason doing now is figuring out things like that, right? Yeah, we got to figure out what all their traditions. We got to like, you know, any anything that has UCF like as a a label or or a name, like can't can't be wearing that, you know. Don't don't want anything to do with UCF. They are our rival now. We play them on rivalry week. That's that's the way it is. But I'm with you. It was a wildly stupid thing to not put, you know, Utah BYU. I get what they're trying to do, kind of. I don't. A, so- a, a friend of a friend of mine has been a Kansas fan for a while, and and he let me know the Big Twelve typically doesn't really do rivalry week. Usually Kansas, Kansas State isn't the last week of the season. What they like to do is put the rivalries interspersed throughout the year. So every year they have like a marquee matchup. You'll notice that Texas OU was never at the end of the year. Like that's I think that's kind of their their plan here is they're staggering it so that that November 9th game between Utah and BYU, that's gonna be one of the biggest games in the nation. Because what what else is going on on November 9th or, or LSU uh, Alabama? That's the problem, <laughs> and this is why this this is why the sport sucks now because this is 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 strategically built around TV, right? That's all. That's the entire reason that the Big Twelve. Yeah, is but, doing but but you'd imagine then that they'll put Utah BYU at like one in the afternoon, and or the big noon kickoff. Who knows? Like yeah. that's a thing. Like, well, it can't be Big Noon because Big Noon's on Fox, and I don't think the the Big Twelve has. And this this is where I'm going to have to do a lot of research to see who has what rights and what's available to teams. But the other part of it too is that's absurd. Is that Utah's actually going to be playing what ten conference games, but one of them's not going to count because they're still playing Baylor, but it doesn't count towards the conference total. And that's yeah, that's just, that's strange. Yeah, and then and you have to believe that that with. If BYU could pack the truck and get across the country to Coastal Carolina in six days, I have to believe that Utah could have found a, an opponent to replace Baylor. I'm sorry. Like, I just, I don't see, I know there are contracts. I know that there will be lawyers and all this kind of stuff. But if there's a will, there's a way. And I feel like Utah, Big 12, a whole bunch of people just dropped the ball on this one. And at the end of the day, it's always the fans who suffer. Because it's the fans that have to deal with everything, you know, wins, losses, fans have to deal with buying tickets and and travel and everything that comes with it. And I think that's this game is supposed to be fun for the fans. College football is supposed to be fun for the fans. Part of what makes college football so great are rivalries. Like, I think we don't talk about it very often, but the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry is actually based off a war, the Toledo War. And this is one of those things that the more you dive into the history of college football, the Toledo War, which had zero casualties. In fact, not an area shot was fired at either side. It was just a bunch of people, I'm assuming drunk idiots, shooting their guns in the air on either side of the Michigan-Ohio State border in a 427-mile stretch called the Toledo Strait. And that's what birthed the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. Because they figured, well, rather than have people line up to try and kill themselves every year, why don't we play a football game instead? And this is college football at its core. And when you lose those rivalries, when you lose those histories, when you lose those things that make this 
sport something you can connect with emotionally it's basically just a lifeless product you know and i think it's the nfl is so different from college football and i think you've gotten me on that train of watching the nfl week in week out and being really obsessed with it and it's almost like a completely different game when i watch it you know what i mean and so i think all this is to say like we have to protect college football and the sanctity of rivalries and and putting them in certain weeks and telling some of these TV executives to to piss off because I, you know I don't know that like I mean I guess let me ask you this question as I stumble over my words when the season started did did you have any idea that it was going to unfold with Michigan going through all the craziness that it went through and then finishing the season up because I never would have guessed that that would have happened. Not not the start of the year. No, I don't think so. I don't. I don't think I would have put Michigan in the title game to start the year. Did, when did you feel like Michigan was legitimately a threat to win the national championship? As soon as they manhandled Penn State, and I realized that at that With point, an interim uh, coach of all things, right? And and I realized that oh, Ohio State's offense is non-existent. Like. At that point, I was like, oh, well, they're just bigger, better, and better than I I think we had this conversation on the podcast. I would say sometime around like Thanksgiving, like right before Ohio State week, I was pretty convinced that they were just going to roll through everything. And and they kind of did. That's that's the the way it did. And that, you know, that gives us a a nice transition here into a a little bit of a, a season recap. And, you know, Michigan does it. Michigan wins the title. They bully everyone on their way there. They played their style of football, which was a dominant running game, bullying both sides of the line, building in the trenches after your own heart. And bang, you know, there they are. National champions. And along the way, they knock off Alabama and send the greatest coach of all time into retirement, which we'll get to in a minute. And then they play a Washington team that up until that point looked unstoppable offensively and, and frankly made them look like they didn't belong on the same field. And it, I, I cannot think of a better title champion this year than Michigan. They, they did it at every step of the way. Say what you will about the cheating, about whatever. When it came to nut-cutting time, as it were, they got on the field and they just bullied everyone they played. And they won a title. And I think to me, there's something beautiful about bully ball and the fact that they are now the big bad bullies, even though Jim Harbaugh is left for the NFL and now it's Sharon Moore. And who knows what Sharon Moore is going to be? I mean, he filled in well as an interim, but you never want to be the guy after the guy, you know, like you always kind of want to be the guy. After the guy, that's why I think Ryan Day is in an incredibly hard position. You have to go behind. You have to follow up Urban Meyer, and Urban had such success with that team that even though Ryan Day has shown himself to be a great recruiter and they they continue to get offensive talent, you have one kind of down year on that side of the ball like they did last year, and suddenly going into next year, if he doesn't win that Michigan game and get Ohio State to a college football playoff, people are going to be calling for his job next year. And it's it's a very interesting kind of new landscape. We'll see how Sharon Moore deals with it. But you know, 
that's that's where I'm at. How how do you feel about Michigan winning the national title? And then we can get into kind of the silly season of it all and all these coaching changes that we experienced. It was, I think, the best team all year long. Definitely won. I'm a firm believer that you have to watch out for teams that are that overcome adversity during the course of the season. And <laughs> yeah, I, a simple correlation to make to that is Kansas City Chiefs and anybody who's betting against them going into the Super Bowl. Godspeed and good luck because I yeah, like that luck. team. Like, and, and and we can talk about how it's the Patrick Mahomes effect and everything like that, but it's just all of it, right? I didn't get sacked one single time on Sunday. Travis Kelsey all of a sudden is back to being his Hall of Fame form. So good, good on him. And and the rest of the Swifties can celebrate at the Super Bowl and blah, blah, blah. But it, it is these teams that have the ability to overcome, whether it's injuries, whether it's off the field issues, whatever it is, and learn to stay the course throughout it. Those are the teams that are really scary when it gets to those those critical moments. And I thought you saw that in two instances. One, the goal line stand with Michigan against Alabama. And two, with the way that they started off the game against Washington. Because at that point in time, Michigan feared no one. And that is a dangerous, dangerous way to play. And I, you talk about bully ball. Like that, that Michigan team was on a mission. And that's one way of saying it. We can use all the cliches and superlatives, but that team is built to just win football games the way football was meant to be played. They want to possess the ball. They want to beat you up front in the trenches. They want to physically wear you down over and over again. They want to beat your confidence into the dirt and just have you wondering, how do I keep going against this? And you know, credit to Washington because I think they could have folded a lot earlier on in that game and it would have been even less close than it was. But I think they credit to them, that program, that team, which we'll never see again, right? Because as we approach the silly season talk, like that program's just been stripped back down to the to the guts and they're having to reapply new new drywall and paint and everything like that to it all over again. But Michigan just Man, like like that is how a college football team should be. You know, a ton of returning talent, a ton of returning seniors. They're going to have a bevy of guys going into the NFL. A quarterback in J.J. McCarthy who knew his role and played within the system almost all year long and in big moments where they needed him to step up, he did it both with his arm and with his legs and multiple times. I will never forget him catching that pass in the Rose Bowl when there was no, like, no reason why any quarterback should have that kind of athletic ability to go up and get it and and almost saving that drive in essence. And then fast forward to the national championship game, those few scrambles that he had that absolutely flipped the game and flipped the field and, and allowed them to have more breathing room and control the control the football and, and control the ground game and everything else. So Harbaugh is such a weird duck, but he's almost like perfect for college football in a way because he is so weird. And all that being equal, he built a team the way a team is supposed to be built, and they just went out and dominated. And and people can can claim that maybe Georgia would have given them a better game or this, that, or the other. I mean, I think I think everybody should want a team stylistically like Michigan. And I, like for us locally, that is exactly what Kyle Whittingham wants to build out of the University of Utah. That is exactly what Polani Sataki wants to build at BYU. That is the program. That is the 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 
the measuring stick going forward. And, and I think we're going to see a lot more teams and a lot more programs striving to get to that level. Okay, let's talk about this now. And it's all over now, right? <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's I don't of, think Sharon Moore can carry it forward. Do you? Yeah. No, I don't think so either. It's wild because four teams made the college football playoffs and three of their coaches are gone. You you mentioned that they basically beat Alabama into Saban retiring. And, you know, I, I think there's you're not wrong necessarily. Right. But I think this season overall may have beaten Nick Saban into retiring. That was just the finishing move. Right. That was the scorpion. Like finish him. And yeah, I, I really do think. Obviously, this was the the Saban stuff, which we'll get to. Right, like, really, if you look at what he did this year, I know people will, will say this. Well, the storybook ending would have been him winning a title, but I think this is pretty damn close. Look at the way we viewed Alabama in Week Three. We thought this team was cooked. We thought they didn't have a quarterback. They barely beat USF. People were saying the sky is falling. They can't keep up in today's day and age. And what did they do after that? Every week, they got a little bit better. They got a little bit more defensively sound. The offensive line got a little bit better. Jalen Milrow eliminated mistakes. The defense got a little bit better every single week. And Saban got these wins. He got that win at Tennessee that was so tight and close. And he and he had to bite and scratch and claw to get that. And then you have those moments where you're like, oh, damn, man, is Alabama back? And then they survive the Iron Bowl. They survive the Iron Bowl. They get that crazy last play to win that game. And then they go and they beat Georgia. And everyone thought that Georgia is this big, bad machine. Georgia cannot be knocked off. But Nick Saban did what Nick Saban has done his entire career. And that is take premium talent and coach it to be even that much better. because. Georgia had a better roster and a better, you know, a better quarterback, better defensive line, better offensive line, better weapons. Didn't matter because Nick Saban was a great coach and he elevated his guys. And that's really, I think, in today's day and age of, well, to be a great coach, you have to be great at the transfer portal and you have to get money from your boosters. And NIL, sometimes I, I, yeah. I, th- I think people forget Sometimes you just got to be a fucking good coach, man. Like sometimes you just got to take guys that come into your program as four stars and who may not produce on a game to game basis coming in and throughout the year say, hey, man, like you got to be doing this, this, this and this better. And you got to focus on that every day and make them into better players like Jaden Milrow from what he was in week two against Texas. He had no business playing in the college football playoffs. He had no business playing power five quarterback, to be completely honest with you. And Nick Saban turned him into a guy that's returning next year and now will be viewed as one of the top quarterbacks going into next season because of the way Saban coached him up and the way he he created this. And we're looking for that next era because right now we've got a bunch of guys. If you look at the top names in the sport, for guys that are winning through the transfer portal through making things, you know, through winning with NIL. And, like, you got to find those next, you know, that next generation 
of great coaches. And I mean, as, as a Utah fan, that's what Kyle Whittingham does so well. He takes undervalued talent and he coaches them up and he puts Cole Bishop into the NFL. And, and, you know, Cole Bishop's going to be drafted in the second round. And Jonah Ellis was what a four-star recruit probably didn't get a, a ton of looks from, from big schools. Not four star, not even he, close. He was a low three. He, he, he's, he's going to get drafted in the third round probably. And like, my bet would be Jonah Ellis will be making an impact on an NFL team next year. Like they, they, these great coaches, man, they, they just so much is made of politicking and winning the transfer portal and building rosters. But sometimes you just got to be able to make your players better. And, and, and it's not just about yeah. like, so you're talking about like technique wise and individual wise, but it's not just about the technique. It's also about the scheme, right? And finding players to fit your scheme and or adapting your scheme to fit players. I think that's a big difference with the NFL. Players are kind of ready-made. Like there's not a ton of like developmental growth that happens in the NFL. Yeah, guys get more experience and become more crafty. You know, there's all that kind of stuff, but like you're not out there developing NFL players unless you're Andy Reid, which I, that guy's just next level. So we don't even tackle that. But then it's also about being creative with your scheme. And then on top of that, it's about your culture. And then on top of that, it's about policing. Maybe policing is the wrong word, but it's nurturing and trying to develop these 18 to 22-year-old young adults who are all over the place and have so many distractions and influences in their lives. And NIL just contributes to that. And it's not just about turning them into juggernaut football players. You also want to create good men. And I think we've gone through it and, and you just, you laid it out in chapter and verse just to get guys developed to play well on the field is a Herculean task. And then you're also trying to do it off the field. And then you're also trying to do it in the weight room. And then you're also trying to stay on top of schemes and, and college football is so competitive that you've got every, like you've got 130 different coaches and these guys are all competitive as a hell and super damn smart. And they're spending six months out of the year figuring out, okay, how do I, screw around with this so that we can beat that guy next year right that's a lot and i think all it does is it really it, it speaks to two things one how good nick saban really was and two why you see so much movement amongst college coaches now because it's a really hard job and if you stay in one place too long and stay stagnant you're going to be out yeah, I mean it's 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 that's a fair point. You, you it's it's a constantly changing business and unlike the NFL where you know you can be I I hate to say it this way but like the NFL schedule in some ways I know it's limited and it's it's certainly this is going to sound ignorant but compared to college the NFL schedule is forgiving. Like you can lose two games in November and have a bad half month and then be back and play. Like, I mean, look at the Detroit Lions. The Lions finished the year kind of slow. They, they didn't look great the last three weeks of the season. They, they kind of scored. Bills? Now, you can say, you know, look at the Bills. Yeah, they Bills no one had thought, like three seasons in one. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. But college, you have one loss and you are done. You are done. You're done after one loss most of the time. 
because Bennett goes into the hand and the expanded playoffs will help with that and miss that and the other thing. You still can't lose more than two games a year in college or you're toast. You're absolutely toast. And well, the, the part that sucks is to us, well, what I'm going to say you're going to disagree with. If you lose more than two games, you don't matter. That's kind of the long and the short of it. And to us, you matter. We love we love football. We're going to care about Utah no matter what. But nationally and in the grand scheme of do you want to win a title, if you get two losses, you're cooked. You're done. Yeah. Nobody yeah, cares no. about you and, you and you have no chance. Yeah, then, you're right. I mean, I hate it, but you're right. Like, like uh, there's no arguing the fact that once you're out of the national scope, no one gives a crap, right? And I think that's part, you know, like that'll go back to my diatribe about why, like, you can't lose the 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 heart and the ethos of the sport. But I think it's part of the reason why, like, you're seeing Ryan Day go through it right now. He lost one game, in essence, right? He lost to Michigan, <laughs> and people want him fired. You know, that is absurd. But fans short for fanatic, blah, 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 fill in the gaps, right? You know, I get all that stuff. I just think it's, the the margin is so razor thin, and I think it's why you see a lot of guys. I think it's why guys have to be on the move so much because you have to find ways to stay reinvigorated. I think it's why Kyle Whittingham and and Nick Saban are the end of an era in terms of guys staying in places. You know, I I think even the Sharon Moore hire is very. It used to be that's how it was, right? The the guy would retire, you know, in April. And hand hand the reins off to the apprentice, a la Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley and and Urban Meyer and Ryan Day and and now it was Harbaugh to Sharon Moore, but we don't really see that. There's not a whole lot of apprenticing anymore because it is so difficult, and it's like it's a nasty churn. And I, I mean, whether or not it's a good thing for the sport is irrelevant at, in this conversation, right? I think the bottom line is that you see coaches the ripple effect is, is, is incredible, you know? And I think you saw that with Saban retiring and going in Alabama, getting Kalen DeBoer. And for me, that was the biggest coaches on the move higher of it all, right? Because that one had such a landscape shifting impact across the scope. Yeah. We, Did you we, have we, one that you felt like was a, was, was a major impact or, or even just like a hire that you felt like, okay, yeah, that was, that was a, a really good hire. Landscape shifting, there's no argument to be made that Alabama was not the most. Because let me tell you all the things that came of Alabama losing Nick Saban. Nick Saban retires. Here's the timeline of events. Kellen DeBoer takes the job at Washington. Washington acts quick. They poach Jed Fish from Arizona. Arizona then has to say, shit, we don't have a coach going into the Big 12 all our entire roster is about to transfer. San Jose State, you've had several bowl seasons in a row. Brett Brennan, here are here's the keys to the castle. And then poor San Jose State, who's actually been on an uptick in the Mountain West, and we're a really fucking good Mountain West team last year. And fun as but hell. No business, no business being a good Mountain West team, right? No business being a good Mountain West team. A terrible roster. And then you turn and you say, all right, Ken, Nia, I can't pronounce that last name. Ken, Niamatololo, UCLA tight ends coach. Okay, come save us. And just one move. One move triggered four different jobs opening up, more or less. And that, that 
so I, it, it's impossible to say there wasn't, you know, it's impossible to say there wasn't that there was a bigger, a, a more impactful move that it's happened period in the sport than Nick Saban leaving because that, that set up everything and good hires. I mean, before we get to the transfer portal, I have a few, I think there are a few. And again, I'm focused on guys that developed players and, and got bet and, and got players better. Jonathan Smith, you look at what Oregon's, and, and we both know this because w- w- we follow the Pac-12 so closely. Do you remember what Oregon State was before he got there? They were a perennial laughingstock, one of the worst programs in the country, and he turned them within the span of three years into a perennial top 25 team that if a ball bounces their way, they could have been in the mix for the Pac-12 this year. They, he is a really good coach, and he's good at elevating talent. The other guy, and like... The wild part about that, just to kind of yeah. check on and, that, and, and that happened takes, like a month before all these other moves, right? And then all yeah. these other moves happened within the scope of like a week. That's absurd. That's cataclysmic CEO shifting, massive changeover, and it all happens in like, Six days, you know, and then like that doesn't even lay into the fact that like Arizona's biggest booster had to double double down into the bank account and write some big checks to keep Fafita and Tetaroa McMillan around. You know, I just it's 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 chaos and it's but like not the kind of chaos. Well, I mean, it's okay. This is where I'm going to argue because you're going to say it's not the kind of chaos that's good. Well, what kind of it is though, right? Like, Like it is good. Like this makes the sport infinitely more entertaining and talkable. Like I, I get there's there's it's good to have coaches that stay in the same place every year, but like Michigan State is going to matter for the first time in like five years next year. They're going to matter nationally as a program because they, they get a top quarterback recruit that comes along with Jonathan Smith, and they have a decent team in the trenches built up from, you know, whatever Mel Tucker was doing there. And like, I, I just, it is, you want to say chaos is bad, but it's not, it's good for the sport. It's incredibly good for the sport. And it's what the sport has to be with the constant changing of alliances and the way the sport is changing. The fact it is not governed right now makes it an infinitely coverable sport. Because if it was governed, it'd be boring. We'd be sitting here and saying, what's what's the projected top 25 look like? Instead, in about five minutes here, we're going to talk about some of the teams that we like most in the transfer portal. And we, we could say it's bad all we want. And sure, it might be. Sure. sure. Some like the morals of it have died, but it is just transformed into a different sport. And, I think uh, and a sport that right. is infinitely more coverable in its offseason. You're 100% correct. And and that's why I kind of had to hit I'll say on my take there. I think where it gets dangerous is you've got to find a way to keep good coaches in the sport because you're seeing guys leave in, in mass quantities, and that's not good for it. But this this chaos, this poaching, the competitiveness, that's all good for it. And And you're right. I think, you know, Josh Pate, and I don't know how many people who listen to Endzone Pod crossover into 
late kick and, and listen to a ton of college football stuff. I know you and I love it, but he's, I can't do single person puns. But yeah, anyway. I tr- I tried Josh Pate and like God bless him to do that is you have to be incredibly talented. But I just can't just do it. Very I, very I cannot do it. Notness right? Like like you've got to yeah. be something special to just go solo all the time. But you know he he said. Tennessee should escort the NCAA to the nearest dumpster and open the lid. And he is a hundred percent spot on because supposedly Tennessee is now investigate or the NCAA is now investigating Tennessee for what happened with Nico. I Liava. I am Liava. Sorry. That one's a little bit of a tongue twister too. I can do Numa Tololo pretty good, but uh, Nico's name is a little bit tough and it's just like, cool. There's the door, you know, kick rocks because they're like you said, they're, they're not in, they're not enforcing anything. There's no real authority there. If it was, there are, no, there are currently no rules in college football. So. No, and, and <laughs> the TV networks are in more control of it than the NCAA is, and that's to, that to me is is the absurdity of it all. And you know, I, again, the history of this sport it is is that it has never been governed properly, and that it continually comes into places and situations. You know, in the early 1900s. People were dying by the tens playing football. And it took an intervention from Teddy Roosevelt, the literal president of the United States, to say, hey, we need to set some rules so that people don't die playing football because football is good and important. Now, I mean, that's we actually circled around to that at some point. You know, it had a few players pass away during practices and, and had some concussion issues. And the sport is now better because of those changes that we've made. Right. But it's, it doesn't need the NFL, you know, but I do. Well, let me, let me amend that because you and I both read America's game. Yes. They need cooperation amongst the groups. And that's really what needs to change because right now the best interest of the schools is to band together as a whole and hold the TV networks to the fire. Because that's exactly what Pete Rozelle did back in the day with his group. And it's what turned the NFL into the juggernaut that it is right now. And college football is hitting their NFL moment in a sense because you're seeing it transfer portal, right? And it's it's guys going out to the highest bidder. It's whoever has the, the biggest, fattest NIL check. I mean, Kyle Whittingham and the, the Crimson Collective were talking about $6 million needed by last year. Now, all of a sudden, it's up to seven. So in, in the course of, of three to four months, they had to add an extra million dollars to the pie just to be able to stay competitive and stay on top of things. That's the nature of the NIL. And chaos is good for football. Chaos is good for the sport. What isn't good for the sport is a complete lack of authority and a lack of cooperation from the schools involved. And that's where it comes down to they need to get on board and get on the same page. Otherwise, it's just going to drift and splinter. And and it's not going to be fun if it's just the Big Ten and the SEC. It just isn't. You know? I, I, like I, The way it's that's set up what, right now is pretty dang good. But that's what's going to happen. It is. Well, that's what we're trending towards and, until, unless someone makes a choice, right? Unless someone steps up. And maybe the hope is that this is part of the reason why Nick Saban is retiring is that he becomes the czar of college football or whatever, the, the commissioner of college football, 
And for a long time, he's been the closest that the sport has had to a caretaker. He has warned over and over again, don't do this. Like, don't do this. It's going to change things and you're not going to like it. And then what does he do? Throws up his hand and said, okay, well, I tried to warn you, but I'm just going to beat you at it. And I'm going to be the best there is at it. And he was, and they, you know, we, we, I could talk about the saving legacy for forever. It's, he is, he's one of the greatest coaching minds of my generation. And I'm going to tell you something that you might not want to hear. Nick Saban is not the guy to be the college football czar because the, the, there's, he's too old and the, like you need someone. Chip Kelly is the guy. Like if you hear what Chip Kelly says about this, mm-hmm. says about this stuff, and he's not a good football coach either. So he could be out of a job in a year. Like he could, he could easily get fired because he sucks. But like, I mean, he is a hell of a, he is a hell of a football coach, but I understand what you're coming from, right? Like he is the guy for the job to me. Like if anyone's going to, brilliant, yeah, it's going to step up. It's going to be him, but you have to have an organization first. You have to have, and I hate to break it to you, Brian, but if they break it up into like a semi-pro league, which it will be, like pay for play, you mean? You're you're probably you're probably losing everyone that's not in the Big Ten and the SEC. You're probably losing like Utah State probably doesn't exist anymore, and like n- neither does neither does Utah probably. Like I I know we want to think it like it would. I just don't, I don't, I don't see it. Like it's, so I guess, I guess my question would be like, it not exists. Like you think those programs would fold? Well, they wouldn't be involved in whatever this new look, you know, thing would be, which is where where, the best talent would go, which would mean a, a failing sport that no TV money wants to go to. And then you lose your football program and in turn all athletics, because that's what, generates revenue but we don't have to get into that right now i want to say a little bit uh, more it, there's a, there's so many factors that go into that right because it, as long as those the 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 auto two we'll call them the big 10 and the sec until they start spinning off and making their own rules on number of scholarships and this that and the other they're still limited right and, and that's the part that has is kind of holding everything together by a thread is that there is some semblance of rules that you have to operate under if you start paying players then you're gonna have to limit roster sizes and things of that nature and so there will have to be some things involved in that and but i think to your point that's what makes the the uh chip kelly idea so great and i think it's it's a natural like it it is a perfect system and a perfect setup because if you have 60 teams in tier one and 60 teams in tier two and you align them geographically. So if a team wins the mountain West, it takes that bottom slot away from the pac 12 and the pac 12 team slides down to the mountain West. That's perfect. You know, like I'm for that all, all day, every day. And in fact, especially this year, it would have been awesome to see Boise state slide up and Colorado slide down. Can you like that kind of chaos? Like let's go for that kind of chaos, right? Because Boise state, Climbing into the Pac-12 and the the like the hype and the the fervor surrounding the Dion Sanders Coach Prime led Colorado Buffaloes having to play in a tier two. I'm here for all of that. Sign me up for that 
version of the Amazon Prime documentary. Docu-series. Yeah, but then Deion Sanders will no longer coach there. Yeah, well, I mean, if he leaves, and Shadur Sanders will no longer play there. And Cam Rising will no longer play college football because that's that. Like, I think that's you look at the carousel. His name got thrown around by media. Nobody within the athletic department. Oh, no, no doubt. But I'm also saying all the good like Cam Rising no longer plays at Utah in that in that scenario. Neither does. Neither does Dorian say to win without Cam Rising, too. (laughs) Like, that's. Yeah, that's a, but it's a big problem for them as well, right? But like, if you're not playing for the national title with the best programs, what is the point of the sport? Who cares about a national title if you beat I your do. in your conference? You play sports to win titles. But I think this is where we have a fundamental difference because you because you want to look at college football like it's the NFL and it's not. If college football is anything, it's European soccer. Okay. Maybe, but still, if you root for European soccer, you want to win teams. If it's not like that, you want to win the Champions League. Like that's yeah. the ultimate goal. Like, yeah. and if and you right, if you have no chance of winning the Champions, the Champions League, League you know, last decade, yeah, I know, it's, but like, it's not a good sport anyway. So it's just it, it comes back to this whole thing. Like, yeah, everybody wants to compete for the national championship. I get it, but like, I mean, you're a Broncos fan. How's it going? bad right so it's just like if if your goal every single year is to win the super bowls and that's all you're going to be happy and satisfied with good luck you know i'm not trying to be a dick about it i'm just saying like one team gets that you know i know know, but i i feel fundamentally we just look at sports differently like i i get there's something to be said because other people have this argument too on like podcasts i listen to and stuff I just fundamentally disagree with that argument. I watch sports because I want my you teams don't to fundamentally win. disagree. You opinion opinionatedly disagree with it, right? Because the foundation, it's all about competition, right? And it doesn't right. matter who it's anywhere, any place, any time, right? And and national championships, like I mean, why a national championship? Why does it even matter? Because we have to know who the best team in the country is. Yes. So for like the first hundred years of the sport, like they weren't even letting half the teams in. So, like, is it even a true national championship if that's the case? No. Yeah. So, like, all right. I mean, you make some solid points as you usually do, Brian. It, the, the hard part about it is you're right. Like, but, but we have to get away from this thing where 130 teams are all competing for the same goal, right? Like, like, like that's just, it's, if you're a fan, and that's all you're you're invested in, you're not going to have a great time. I mean, yeah, like every team wants to win a national championship, but, but the feasibility of it, just not realistic, you know? And if that's what you want to get out of college football, like part of why I love college football is because it is from week to week, the most zany, wild, creative version of the sport out there. If you're looking for the best of the best, there is no better showcase of that than the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> I've worn you down, haven't I? You, you've worn me down. We didn't even get to the transfer portal, which I, I do want to talk about the transfer portal because you've got a great list here of the teams in the top 10 rankings. Okay, let's get to the transfer portal. Okay. I want to finish up our conversation about coaching just very quickly by throwing out one name that I, I'm curious you watch a little bit more college football than I do. Mm. Mike Elko, 
Mm. How is he a developing talent? Because Texas A&M has had this problem now where they have the resources, they have the war chest, but they just have not had coaches really at all that know how to like take that war chest and turn it into winning football teams. Like culture, right? Does does well is that culture? Or let's not get into a debate about culture because that'll that'll sidetrack us in another 20 minutes. Yeah, but that's a whole other episode. But can Mike Elko do it? Because I'm convinced that Texas AM fans are delusional, as are most college football fans, that they think that he can turn them into a national title contender in three years. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think Texas AM is a, is a classic example of, of the disease of more in college football that you're talking about, right? Because I think you're right. Like that fan base is delusionally convinced that we have the most money. We're in Texas. We should be the national champions every year. And it's just like, you've never sniffed it. You've never been that close. You know what I mean? Like, like you're not like, I think Michigan fans were like that for a long, long time. And now Harbaugh finally got them their trophy and, and we'll see how long that lasts. You know, yeah. cause I think that's the thing about like trying to be that kind of a, a blue blood program dangerous game and and they want to believe that they're this premier program but the fact is your athletic director just left to go to ohio state like you're a stepping stone program that is that is what you are and this gets absurd because i have a very very close person in my life right now that loves texas a&m and loves Texas A&M, and I love how much they love Texas A&M, but I just know how this ends. They're going to get hurt in the end because of what we were talking about before. The expectation here that they are going to be this national powerhouse and win titles. I just, I don't know if that's possible, and I think it's one of the hardest jobs in America because the boosters and the fans all believe that they are something they, they just factually on paper or or not. And and it's very, it's very, it's very, it's tough. It's very tough to see. I think this is a good exercise in what it takes to build a, a nationally competitive program, right? So I think very first and foremost, you've got to have funding, right? They've got like, it. I think that was the that, that that's you have to have the money to do it. And and that's you know, it's part of why college football is, is where it's at right now, is because it's turning into whoever has the biggest Big bank, take little bank, you know, to quote one of the greats. So you have to have the funding. They have that. Recruiting territory is a key component. They have that. Facilities and the ability to recruit, they have that. What they have been missing is someone who can come in and establish the culture and build a program. Because when Jimbo was there, it was just him shooting darts at the dartboard, throwing to see, see if he could get a top five recruiting class every year. So he could double bird Nick Saban and be like, I beat y'all. I beat y'all. And that goofy Jimbo Fisher voice that he has, right? And I think you kind of see towards the end of his tenure, Jimbo wasn't about anything other than Jimbo at that point in time. Mike Elko, and doesn't he have it great? Yeah. He, he, he might be the I most... 75 million. He, he might be the most blessed man in America. He got paid 75 million to get fired. And he still has what he made while he was coaching there on top of that. Like, he's just a very, very lucky man. Yeah, he gets to basically sit 
and and do whatever the hell he wants. He could probably buy. They'll be on college game day next year. Yeah, something he'll figure. You're gonna figure out something, and he's and he's still gonna keep getting paid all that money. But like, that's part of why Texas A&M is where they're at because they thought they could just throw money at every single problem, and you can't. And I think it's that's really what I I, that coaching carousel and and to zero in on the Mike Elko question. He is a defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. That's where he his history is from. I thought he developed a very strong system at Duke, one where they were defensively sound fundamentally. I think if you're going to be a great college football team, you've got to have a defense that can get stops and get off the field, and you've got to have an offense that can possess the football and finish. You know, however it is that you want to go up, go about doing that, you've got to score, you've got to possess the ball. And then you've got to be able to defend teams. You can't win other way, other ways around. You know, you look at all the teams that have won national championships. All of them have had high-end elite defensive teams. Michigan, no different, right? So however it is that you want to build that, you got to build that. I think Elko has the right tenants. I think he's proven his system. What remains to be seen is can you recruit high-level talent to your system and adapt it and or can you develop that talent you know, within your culture and make it elite? And then the second part about it is, can you tell all the boosters to sit down and be humble long enough for you to figure this thing out? Because it's going to be a process. They've got to build a culture. They've got to build an identity. Uh, whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter to me. You have to be true to whatever your system is. And they have to understand that they're probably going to lose four games next year. Like, and this is the absurdity of the SEC. There's a lot of schools that are not prepared for how hard it's going to be now. It got way worse. You're all so excited about getting $55 million in TV money now. Guess what? It's going to cost you another two losses. And it's, it's, it's frankly, it's more competitive than the NFL. Oh, that could that conference like it it is bottom yeah (laughs) it's it's absurd like ignoring vanderbilt which is just you know a thing that exists but yeah it's just but even vanderbilt's throwing a lot of money out there right now trying to get better right like you hired away half a bunch of the staff at new mexico state which somehow managed to beat auburn on on their way to a 10-win season so you're clearly trying to make changes with that, right? And, and just, you know, the, the, the competitiveness, I think that's what's really a, insane about the SEC is it is a competitive a league as you're going to find out there. I think a lot of NFL teams know they're not going to be good. Vanderbilt, again, to your point, thinks that they can compete in the SEC, right? And, and then... Do they, they though? Do they really think they can compete in the SEC? I, I would find can. that hard to believe. If you press they them. think they can. Otherwise, otherwise, why would you be investing all the money? Right. You know what I mean? You wouldn't be building the new stadium. Well, maybe you should lower your academic standards. But like if, if you really uh-huh. wanted to compete in the SEC, like maybe you wouldn't limit yourself and handicap yourself. Like Stanford's in that boat, too. Right. Like, like you here you are trying to tell yourself is this elite academic institution. And I'll quote David Shaw. Like if you're not trying to be elite in everything that you're doing, you're failing. And so for Vanderbilt, they've got to do a better job of of maintaining their academic integrity, but also letting guys come to school who can play and help them win. You know, and they've been they've been decent 
you know, as, as, as recent as James Franklin. So that clearly somebody had an idea and some potential to do it, but yeah, no, I, I think realistically there, let me ask you this, who is further out Texas from winning the SC or excuse me, Texas A&M from winning the SEC or Vanderbilt from being in the top half of the SEC Vanderbilt Vanderbilt. I feel is eons away from being a bowl team. <laughs> Am I wrong? Oh, like, <laughs> I'm like, laughing because like, you're not wrong, man. Like, I don't know that they're even going to get to a bowl game in the next three years. Right. Like, like that, where that where are you awesome. getting six wins if you're Vanderbilt? Yeah, like even now. if you even if you scheduled the sisters of the poor back to back to back in in the postseason, where are you realistically? And you fluke your way into one win. Like where are you getting those other two wins from? Because you can't really in the SEC fluke your way into three wins. You can fluke your way into one or two, but you can't fluke your way into three. And like it's just well, they, this is. I this hope is they're better. scheduling the Sisters of Vaporo there, or they'll never have a two-win season. This is where I think you go to the Kyle Whittingham school of of how to build a program or how to rebuild a program, right? Because that's exactly what Utah did, is they figured out how to get to six wins. And then once they got to six wins for a couple of years in a row, it was, okay, now how do we get to eight? How do we get to 10? And, and I think this is like, maybe that's the biggest task for Elko is that you've got to figure out how to get to 10 wins every single year. Then you can start thinking about a national championship. And to be fair, if I were him, that's what I'd be saying in every single booster meeting. Hey, right now, we want to get to 10 wins. That's our goal. And I I mean, I think in three years, that's they can get to 10 wins in three years. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. they can get this year. year, No, not a chance. Next year and the year after, they could definitely get back to back 10 win season if they're patient. And I, I, I will say, yeah, I will say this for, for Vanderbilt or excuse me, for Texas AM, they're on their last leg, right? Because the only other option out there is Mark Stoops and they know it now. So I think that also plays in Michael Elko's favor. So, yeah, like I think chops wise, in terms of developing players, having a system having you know a culture and identity that that they can execute i think that's all there i think he also has boosters kind of in the in the lane of like man like here we are we're gonna eat our humble pie we're still gonna donate a ton of money oil prices are still pretty good and and we're just right now we're just happy to not have to pay you know jimbo any more money and and he's reasonably (laughs) inexpensive by comparison but there's nobody else out there that really wants that Texas A&M job right now that you can look at and be like, well, that's a guy, you know, like who is, who else is, if it's not Mark Stoops, who is it? Dion? Cause like Kyle Whittingham's not going there. Ryan day. Well, maybe Ryan day would, I don't know. It's, it's a very tough place to win. Yeah. It's a very, it's, it's a very tough place to coach. It's a, it's a tough place to do anything at. All right. Transfer portal. The top 10 teams. Let me read them out to you. Ole Miss, Texas A&M, number three. I'll read the top five first. Oregon, three. Florida State, four. Colorado, five. So that is the top five, Brian. Those are the top five teams that have, according to 24-7 sports, won the transfer portal this offseason. And let me 
throw out an observation here. Those are all when we talk about elevating players and such, and, and what we've been talking about, what makes a good coach, more or less. I would argue one of these things is not like the other. That's Colorado. We we don't quite know what Deion Sanders is yet. But I would argue that with Saban gone, Georgia's still Georgia. Kirby Smart's still in this discussion. But this new era of coaches, Lane Kiffin, Dan Lanning, Mike Norvell. I think those are the three guys from this list that are set to take that next mantle of great coaches within the sport. Because I think all three of those guys have one thing in common, and that is that they are happy at the place they're at. You look at what came open. If we say that Alabama is, we would probably both agree Alabama, just from a history, from a donor, all those things we just talked about, Alabama is the most enticing job in the nation. Dan Lanning turned down that job. And Lane Kiffin turned down that job, probably. And Mike Norvell turned down that job, probably. If those three guys are going to turn down Alabama, that tells me that they're probably sticking in their spots for a while. And that kind of makes me love those three guys. I'm a huge Dan Landing guy. I don't know if they came through over the last few months of the season, but especially this offseason, this idea of coaching stability is going to matter in this new era of college football with the transfer portal being all crazy. The one factor that coaches can control is if they stay put, they're going to keep their guys. Like that, that is what, because once you leave, it becomes a vacuum. And you go poach team, you poach from programs that are instable. But if you create stability within your program, I think you have a chance to win the transfer portal. And I think that's what the top five of this list shows us. Does that make any sense at all? Or am I three-fourths of an IPA deep and making no sense anymore? Because that's that's what I feel like I've learned from this list. I, I feel like what matters in transfer portal recruiting is stability. You don't want people that are going to jump around. And that's why the Deion Sanders thing is kind of an outlier, because who knows? Deion's just getting those guys because he's Deion and he has a clout. But like, what are your thoughts on, on kind of how we can evaluate lists like this? My argument would almost be it's it's the second half of that top 10 that kind of indicates what you're saying, right? Your number seven is Texas. Number eight is Ohio state. Number nine is USC, right? These programs that are more that have that consistency. And, and there is probably an argument that Oregon at number three and FSU at number four also indicates that as well. I think it's the unique names that are, that are interesting to me are Ole Miss at number one, right? Colorado at number five. We know Dion, right? He's going to turn and turn and turn and burn that roster until he gets the guys that are going to come through. And and so they're always going to be at the top there in, in in terms of bringing in talent via the transfer portal. I don't I don't think that's very that is a difficult way to live in college football because I think you've got to have some high school players that you recruit and develop that buy into your program that stay there. But maybe Dion proves us all wrong in that regards. He sure got off to a good start last year, predictably faded away. I think there were a lot of people that are waiting for that one. I'll steal this take from Bud Elliott, who cover three podcasts, 24 seven sports, just 
creator of the blue chip ratio. Ole Miss is the team that, to me, indicates what the transfer portal can be. Because if you've got a good group that's been together for a while, maybe a little senior-laden team, then you can dip into the portal or the free agency pool, if you will, and go get that talent to push you over the top. So I don't think we see Ole Miss continually in the top 10 there in the transfer portal, but they can push the money and the chips and everything all the way in this year, and maybe it puts them over the top, right? And then they're one of those teams and those programs that consistently becomes an Oregon or a Florida State, like you were saying, right? So I think that's the unique part of, of the portal right now is you're going to see the great programs like Ohio State, Texas, Alabama, Georgia be on this list in terms of guys are always going to flee and you're always going to be able to get high-end talent. But it's the, the curious ones are like, what's, you know, for Ole Miss, like, do we see Utah on this list two years from now as they're getting into like the second year of the Big 12 and they think they have a, a great window to make a championship run? So that to me, like that to me is the curious part about it, because I think you're right. Like, I think the consistency of programs like Oregon, Florida State, Norvell and, and landing. And, and we can talk about the Jimmy Sexton effect of all that if you want. I'm, I'm more than happy to to break it down. But I think it's those programs and, and like NC State, for example, those are the ones that, that that make me curious, right? Like that that I'm curious to see what happens, because I think. You are right that the consistency part of it is is going to be a huge part. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. But one thing I, I do want to touch on is transfer quarterbacks because, you know, football is a quarterback-driven sport. College football is a quarterback-driven sport. Just a few of these guys moving around. Number one is a recruit, the number three recruit in this class, Julian Sand, who's going to go to Ohio State as Kyle McCord goes away. Do you know where McCord ended up going to? Syracuse. Syracuse. Okay. Well, that makes sense. He feels like a Syracuse quarterback. What do you think about this idea with Sand of going, especially a quarterback, after high-level recruits? Because I think it's still really a gamble. Like, I, I don't... Cause you don't know if he's got like, I get that recruiting, like you, you did, you've done recruiting for a long time, Brian, and like all respect to you, man. But does anyone really know what they're talking about when they're evaluating these high school kids? Like that feels incredibly risky to me to go quarterback on a must win Ohio state season and, and go after a guy that hasn't played a snap of D one football yet. So I think it's a great question. Great job by you to quote, to quote Bill Simmons and, and cousin Sal. Great job by you. Yes. And no, like, does somebody out there really know what they're doing? Yes. And it's the elite 11 and we can go through it because if you look at their alumni history, they're hitting on the majority of guys almost every single time, you know, 27 of the 32 NFL starters were elite 11 quarterbacks. 82 of the 97 QBs on the NFL roster came through the Elite 11 process. And they would have had 28, but Patrick Mahomes was supposedly going to play baseball instead of football and then changed his mind. So I'll read off to you some of the Elite 11 quarterbacks. Joe Burrow, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, Justin Fields, Jared Goff, Sam Howell, Jalen Hurts, Mar Jackson, Daniel Jones, 
Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Jordan Love, Patrick Mahomes, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Kenny Pickett, Brock Birdie, Anthony Richardson, Desmond Ritter, Aaron Rodgers, Geno Smith, Matthew Stafford, CJ Stroud, Tua Tango Valoa, Ryan Tannehill, Sean Watson, Bryce Young. God, that makes me love Josh Allen so much more. Well, and, and Josh Allen is another example. The same thing. And, and you know, another local kid to us, Jackson Dart. Both those guys wanted to play baseball. And so they didn't hit the camp circuit. So they didn't get into the deep depths of the Elite 11 camps. But, you know, they have a pretty good pulse through Elite 11 as to who's going to be good and who who's going to make it and who isn't. You know, Nate Johnson, Elite 11 finalist. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. You know, he's now at what you call it? Vanderbilt. Yeah. Which I mean good luck, dude. So much Vanderbilt talk on this podcast. I mean <laughs> But you mentioned uh Trevor Sin- or uh not Trevor Simeon, Julian Sand. It may uh, it makes sense. He's not a very good quarterback. Sorry, that I just that was a cheap shot, but Dan or Nate Johnson? Nate Johnson. It oh. it makes sense he'd be a Vanderbilt quarterback. Yeah, I get all that. But I think, you know, I think Julian Sand is going to be a great quarterback. Like, I mean, great, great. Like, he is one of those dudes where you watch it and you're like, yeah, it's pretty obvious. So, I. How tall is he? He's about 6'1, 6'2. Oh, so not tall. Well, I I mean, not like, like he's not his, yeah, 6'1, 195, but it's the release, man. It's that release. It is so quick, and the ball just leaps off of his hand, right? So I think if you're going to be a quarterback, you either got to be 6'3", 6'4", Jordan Love, Anthony Richardson type, right? Just big, beefy, hard to tackle. Or you've got to be that kind of smaller, quick release, mobile kind of guy, and he he has all that kind of strength. So, you know, to an extent, yeah, it's a risky endeavor by Ohio State, especially knowing that, like, they didn't have anything else in the QB room, right? Like Devin Brown ain't the guy. The other kid who's who's this the South Dakota prospect that that clearly has athleticism and things like that. He's definitely not ready for it. I think what they did that was smart was they went and got Will Howard from M- Mississippi State. So if they have to have a bridge situation, kind of like teams have had in the past, the one that stands out the most to me is the. Clemson with Trevor Lawrence and, and Clemson also did the same thing. I think it was Kelly Bryant, Kelly Bryant who transitioned into Deshaun Watson, or maybe it was Kelly Bryant that transitioned into Trevor Lawrence, whatever it is. Like if they have to have a guy that transitions into the true freshman starter stepping into it, Will Howard's probably a good place to start. But we're seeing a massive shift in terms of how quarterbacks are being developed that I think is a real positive. And the big thing with that is that freshmen are not expected to play right away unless they are really, really good and they're getting some time to develop. And it's a huge, huge jump. And I think that's a real positive. And it's, that's one of the big benefits of NIL is it's a lot, a lot of those guys stay in school. I mean, Cam Rising is going to make more money playing quarterback for the seventh year at the university of Utah than he would have even sniffed in the NFL. And so that's a big plus, right? But like Ohio State's on on tenuous ground. I think it's part of the reason why you see them where they're at on that transfer portal list. They had to go get talent. So when got a running back, went and got Sand from Alabama, and man, like 
Julian Sands is going to be good. I don't know if he's the starter right off the bat, but he's as close to they've had to an elite talent since CJ Stroud. And I think it's easy to easy to point at CJ Stroud and be like, yeah, that guy was pretty good right now. So, I mean, that to answer your question, it's a big gamble, but I think they did a good job of of backfilling in terms of going and get Will Rogers, who, or excuse me, Will Howard. Will Rogers is a different quarterback. The other fascinating school within this transfer portal in terms of quarterbacks is Oregon, who not only gets Dylan Gabriel, who is just, I have these guys, Brian, that I don't know if you, I don't, I don't know what to call them, but like legendary college football quarterbacks, like guys that will just, I know, I know they will never work in the NFL. I would never draft Dylan Gabriel with, I wouldn't touch him with a 10 point full in, in, in the NFL draft. Another guy like that is, yeah, the Colt Brennan, the Colt Brennan Awards, and and 2006, I think you were still probably in diapers at that point in time. Yeah, he was probably. starting quarterback for Hawaii, and it was just electric watching that guy. Johnny Manziel is another one that I would throw on that list, right? Just elite college quarterbacks that just aren't going to sniff it at the NFL level. Graham Harrell, who I, I don't know where he's the offensive coordinator right now. I've lost track of him, but when he was at Texas Tech. And he threw like 63 touchdown passes, right? And he was never going to do that in the NFL. Bailey Zappi. I'll throw Bailey Zappi on that list too, right? Just guys that are so much fun to watch in college, but they're Mac Jones for that matter. Mac Jones. Who knows? Mac Jones may still have a little bit of NFL ability left in him, you know? And and I think we're seeing enough rehab projects kind of come to the, you know, come back. Like Baker had a pretty good season. He may actually be a starting quarterback two years in a row. Hard to say. So, yeah, I I mean, the Colt Brennan All-Stars, I think Dylan Gabriel is a great name to add to that list. Is he the one that ends up starting for Oregon? I don't know, man. Like, that's the crazy part about it, right? Because, I like, they went and got a bunch of guys at quarterback. Like, they got Dante Moore. Yes. Yeah. That, That one. So, I just realized this doing research today. They got Dante Moore too, which yeah. Dante Moore again handicapped because Chip Kelly is not a good coach. Very talented prospect, a lot of really good flashes. Like that is going to be a fascinating quarterback battle. Like I, I do not think Dylan Gabriel is the no doubt week one start. I think there is a legitimate battle there. Would you agree? Hundred percent. I think Dante Moore has tools and abilities that that far far outshine a lot of guys who play the position, and and he's going to do some things athletically that just Dylan Gabriel can't do. Right? Like like that's a big part about it. What is curious to me was the comments that he made when he left UCLA, and and the comments that his family made about wanting to go somewhere where he would be developed. There may be some understanding with that, right? Like where it's like, yeah, hey, we're going to develop the heck out of you here. Look at what we just did with Bo Nix, right? Yeah. This Another year, legendary college quarterback. <laughs> and and Bo may be good enough to make it the NFL. Who I, knows, dude? That's one thing. Dude, we'll get to it in the NFL. <laughs> one of your questions in our NFL one is going to be, I'm going to give you one of your five questions right now. Huh? Ask so, me about no. my Broncos quarterback list. 
Oh. And and we'll and we'll and we'll get we'll get to that. But yeah, Bo Nix, fascinating guy. I also wanted to touch on Cam Ward, another college football quarterback legend, Washington State to Miami. It's interesting, Miami. You know, yeah, and Cam Ward. Like I think I think Cam Ward tried on literally every dress in the store before finally walking out with a Miami one, including going to the NFL. Right, and and this is where. You talk about the importance of the quarterback position. I think there's also a lot of danger in the quarterback position right now of overthinking it, you know, and and and, and getting too many people involved and too many voices in the room. And you know, now he's on. He's going to be on his third school, and the, I think there's a lot of potential there with Cam Ward. I, like, man, I got a hard time with that kid leaving Washington State. Like, and I get it. Like, Washington State's no man's land right now, which maybe that's the reason why he has to go to Miami. But they did a pretty good job of developing him and surrounding him with talent. I thought Cam Ward had a better setup last year in terms of ability, in terms of talent around him and offensive ability than Utah had for their quarterbacks. Yeah. And Utah far out that you know far outplayed Washington State this year. So I, I I don't know what conclusions we can make off of that, but you know Cam Ward, <clears throat> Miami is the team that everybody just wants to be good, right? And for for all the fight and want desire, they sure can't get it figured out, you know. So maybe this is the year that Mario Cristobal finally gets a hold of it, and maybe Cam Ward is the guy that goes in there with enough chutzpah and, and juice, to get the job done. But I like he like we may have to start creating another list and, and call it the. Uh, well, man, I'm trying to think of what the best, the best example of this. Maybe the Tate Martell All Star, All Stars, or the J, the JD Daniels All Stars of guys who just continually transfer, yeah, and never find a home. JT Daniels, excuse me. So like that could be it as well, right? Like he may be the next up on the list of the JT Daniels All Stars. Like Tate Martell transferred to four different schools, ended up out of football completely. You know, yeah. And his it, the most highly searched question in regards to Tate Martell is, what does Tate Martell do now? So, yeah, yeah, I've got I, another list, yeah, for you to talk about. One last quarterback here, the Sam Hartman. Let me just make a ton of NIL money really quick and go play quarterback at Notre Dame my senior year, which I think will be a tradition unlike any other for however long this era of college football is in existence, because Riley Leonard will now be the quarterback at Notre Dame. And I'd say he has a similar career path to Sam Hartman, and he's going to make a shit ton of money playing and being the quarterback of Notre Dame. So congrats to him. He's also good looking enough to probably be on the bachelor at some point in time, following in the footsteps of Jesse Palmer and, and other, other Jordan Rogers and and whoever else played the quarterback position and then made appearances on that show, which inevitably Sam Hartman will, you know, so good for Riley. Go get that bag, son. You know, but I think the one difference with him is he's a, he'll be 21 going into 22. Sam Hartman was what 30? Yeah, pretty much. All right, but position man in the college football, it's going to be wild because I think you're going to see a lot of fifth and sixth year guys quarterbacks for no thing going forward. That's just going to be like it's going to be an automatic award. How long have you been in college football? Okay, you're, you're going to Notre Dame. The fun game that we need to go, go through in the summer is predicting who's going to be the Notre Dame quarterback after this. Season. Yeah, that'd be a fun Cam Rising. Who knows? Yeah, Cam Rising. Yeah, that 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 could be that could be a fun game. 
All right. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about you and you, but we just don't have time. We literally do not do not have time for this.